Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the very heart of the issues facing the UK health and social care sector by speaking to leaders who are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahail Mirza, and I'm delighted for this special episode of this series to welcome the CEO of New Cross, Stephen Patrick. Stephen, it's a delight to have you uh, on the series. Uh, we started this uh, three months ago, and uh, it's been a very busy period for you in terms of uh, Newcross and uh, the innovation and the development of the business. Yeah, and uh, delighted to be on the podcast uh, with you, Suhal. It's yeah, it's been you know it's difficult and uh, complex uh, environment that we're all living through at the moment for a variety of reasons uh, that we don't need to go into right now. But of course, as an organisation, we have got a growth and change strategy as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a really exciting time and uh, we're really excited about the future and uh, the impact that uh, we can make uh, within healthcare and the lives of our clients and our staff. Absolutely. Now, one of the big issues, of course, is that we are in a new epoch of care, community-based care, um, hospital at home. Technology is seen as a huge enabler by policymakers, by providers. I know that's a topic with which you have particular allegiance and huge passion for. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, technology is a huge, there's huge opportunities coming, uh, the like of which we've never been able to even comprehend, let alone experience. And uh, so it's a question of how, as you say at the beginning, how do we harness those technologies, uh, enable and implement those technologies uh, for the betterment of society and uh, create uh, technologies that are going to make a real difference to people's lives. And of course, you know, in implementing new ways of working, new technologies and is, is, is difficult, but uh, absolutely essential. And I guess our focus as an organisation is, is quite rightly uh, the development of our services with uh, a lot of focus on technology to improve outcomes, lower costs, and uh, and and actually make more of uh, make more of uh, an, an impression uh, in terms of uh, the amount of uh, staff that we can supply, the amount of services that we can deliver um, across the country and indeed uh, Europe and, uh, and and ultimately the world. Now, the NHS is facing a profound crisis. It's all over the press, um, particularly uh, in terms of patient waiting times and clearing backlogs. We've had the, uh, the urgent and emergency care plan issued, more ambulances, more funding. Um, but particularly, I wanted to focus on the drive to grow the presence and ubiquity of uh, virtual wards mm. to get to 50,000 patients per month in 2024, 2025. Uh, this will require technological uh, innovation. It will require a workforce that can um, be technology agile. What do you think of this initiative of moving and shifting uh, the delivery of care into virtual wards, into people's homes, into the community? I think it's absolutely essential. And we spoke about this at the Langenbusen conference where we first stopped and said hi. Um, and um, we know that there's trials operating at the moment that seem to be operating very successfully. But this uh, this is absolutely essential for the future. We know that people uh, provided who provide care or have care provided in, in the home have better outcomes. We know that. So um, I think this is the future. And of course, as you said, we need an you know agile systems and an agile workforce as well because of the the flexibility in the way that you would operate virtual wards and so that does need a different change in approach in the way that we top of operate and manage uh, services but i think uh, i think it's brilliant 
for the NHS. And I also think there's an opportunity uh, within the private sector to provide virtual wards. And also, obviously, for private hospitals as well. You know, they have the same demands and the same requirements. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about that. And as you say, we've, uh, you know, we talked about uh, we talked about this uh, earlier on uh, last year. And we've already launched uh, uh, our home clinic and, uh, and and actually developing solutions through the home clinic to actually provide our, our virtual wards in the homes as well. So we're totally aligned. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to be part of uh, an important part of the framework of care for the future for for people within uh, in the UK. And that's part of the wider commitment and mission um, of New Cross in terms of uh, democratizing advancements in treatment and care at home and to enable that and that also implies having a workforce that can actually um, be literate in the computer in technology and the advancements that are going on around the world yeah uh in terms of uh the advancements in treatment you know we know they're coming along the line um they're the costs of some of these treatments you know are frankly eye-wateringly expensive we know uh, there's an, a lot of drugs coming that's going to pass through NICE that uh, at this moment in time, I think it's going to be very hard to be afforded. Uh, and so how can we help democratise that? One thing we can do is look at how we can diagnose an early uh, early diagnose conditions. And this really falls back to my uh, passion about delivering care uh, and delivering uh, services before you're ill. Um, it used to be a joke when I was type of at school, there was this joke where it said, you know, I went to the doctors the other day and the doctor said to me, well, I haven't seen you for a while. And I say, no, I haven't been well. <laughs> uh, uh, but actually, uh, there is something in that now where I, I believe that you should be going to a doctor uh, at certain key stages and points even when you're not well, even when you are well, beg your pardon, hmm. even when you are well, to uh, to have uh, diagnostics undertaken at the, at the most appropriate time for you, your condition, your age, etc., to ascertain your current state of wellness and then plan for the future. Now, maybe that initial cost will be slightly higher uh, to implement at the, than at the moment, but the long-term benefits are absolutely indescribable. So I think in terms of wellness, it's going to make a massive difference. And in terms of costs, it's going to make a massive difference. We know, of course, if you can uh, treat early, it's usually cheaper and the outcomes are much better. So we need to take that to the next stage using, you know, the amount of opportunity we've got uh, for you know, diagnostics. And, you know, one of the reasons we top of... Um, uh, we, uh, we we made an investment in Fountain Life, uh, um, an American company that's just doing amazing things with diagnostics and state-of-the-art diagnostics where at the moment it's, you know, frankly quite expensive uh, in America to have those. But I, I think there's a way that we can democratise that and bring those uh, opportunities into the UK to radically change how we deliver the care and let's be honest as well that you know healthy society is not only good for society it's good for the bottom line gdp you know uh, so it's good for it's good for the economy it's good for people it's the right thing to do and it's all about having that quality of life and um yeah so we're super excited about being part of that 
and uh, as we go through the years, um, uh, you know, developing our s services um, uh, more and more to the needs and requirements of, uh, of, of, of the UK and, and, and the world in general as we move forward. Uh, as you say, there's an imperative, of course, to deliver care. There's a demand is inexorable, um, but there's also budgetary constraints, some reality that we have. And so prevention is better than cure, as we say. Yeah. And I wanted to take that. Uh, that was one of the themes. Uh, the Voices of Care series has had gracious feedback. It's been covered in the press uh, nationally and regionally. Uh, uh, stakeholders, workforce have been gracious in their response. Um, this was very much your vision uh, in, in creating the series. And just wanted to touch upon... Was it to uh, drive the debate? What brought you, that, that was the genesis of the idea of having, it's quite a, a bold move to be able to engage the whole of the health and social care landscape to discuss these uh, challenging questions. Yeah, I, I, look, we just want to be one part. We thought we could do something, you know, when you type of, you know, launch a business that we did 26 years ago and you have an ambition to grow as you develop and as the business develops you get to a stage where you see a lot you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of very passionate people and a lot of you know we said before you know you know great intellectual capital um, and that still somehow on the ground it doesn't seem to be working and nothing is changing so we didn't want to politicize this we just wanted to speak to people who have a deep, meaningful uh, vision for the future, who are passionate about delivery of care, whether that's private or within the NHS, who share a, a, a desire to try and make a difference. And um, maybe through these conversations, it can help open up the mindset opportunities, and in some cases wallets, <laughs> uh, to uh, create a, a new landscape for care. There's a lot of opportunity it's tremendously exciting. Uh, yes, there are difficulties, but I truly believe that uh, healthcare in the UK and through with the NHS and also private has an amazing future. We're very, very good at it. And we are so lucky that we've got the NHS and also some amazing private services as well. Uh, and, and how can we type of ensure that in the future, this can develop into a super wellness delivery program and i and i think you know of course we've got the short-term issues we've got to deal with now of mm. course and some of you know some of what i'm saying may to some people seem blue sky but we have to have that because we cannot keep on doing what we're doing i think there's some short-term things that we can do in the short term but we have to radically change our whole mindset towards care and uh you know the nhs was formed a long time ago uh, and uh, and it's only right that certain, just like all, any organisations, has to do a reassessment about how can we deliver what we promise to deliver? How can we work differently? What what opportunities are here? And, and that's not saying they're not doing that, by the way. Mm. I'm just thinking that I, I, I believe we need to move faster uh, and, and look for a society where, you know, where people are generally everyone knows the position of their own health and wellness. And I, we talk about being their own CEO of their own health care, mm. their own wellness. So they're in charge of how well they are. They're, they understand exactly what they need to do. They have the right information to make informed choices about their health and wellness. And ultimately, we have a healthier, healthier fitter society and a society that is going to live longer. And it's not just a question of how long you live, but it's how well you live. And those two things need to be absolutely really, really 
arm in arm. And with the advancements in treatments, we are going to be able to live a lot longer and weller than we've ever done before. And with that, also, uh, there may be more requirements for medical intervention, but also cost. there's a cost, you know, and how we're going to afford this. And I think we need to reassess our work li- working lives because um, I think that's a, that's a big issue. And we know one of the things we talk about is that um, every year, if you, if you extended the working life of your own working life every year, by, by one year, there's a 1% GDP improvement across the country. So mm. if it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity. And, uh, and again, I, you know, the advocation of type of working longer to some people seems a bit, uh, a, a, a little bit controversial. But if you're retiring at, say, 60 or 65 or 67, mm-hmm. and you have another 30 years, 35 years of well good living we have to work out how that's going to be funded. Mm. And and so I think we need to talk about a, a social contract that we have that, look, if we are able to keep you well, live longer, then you probably might have to work a bit longer. No, absolutely. And I think that, as you say, the series has allowed us to address questions uh, that perhaps others are not asking. Uh, think outside the box, blue sky, sometimes you've talked about. Um, and the longevity point you've just made, um, I'd like to touch upon a couple of the themes that have come out um, from the series and the podcasts that have been published. Um, I think they're fascinating. Uh, the longevity point, definitely, uh, Professor Martin Green at Care England, celeb- he said that it's time to celebrate longevity, invest in that, and see the contribution that people can make who are living longer same point from uh, dr jane townsend at the yes. home care association but the collaboration point that you make in terms of uh, industry government the, uh, the nhs social care um a couple of themes that have come out very strongly which i wanted you to get your views on um uh, sir david nicholson talked about the idea that the spirit is now moved from uh, into collaboration the need for greater collaboration with ICSs. we had neil carberry from the uh, rec talking about how the private sector can help in terms of labour shortages by working in partnership uh, with the NHS and social care. And as you know, uh, it's been several years now since the NHS set up its entrepreneurship programme to drive innovation in diagnostics. So this idea of collaboration, partnership, it's something I think is very close to your heart and something you've advocated for a long time. And it's coming out from the luminaries that we've had the privilege of talking to. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in my 26 years, I've seen different type of relationships from, you know, potentially outright adversarial mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, very much, uh, uh, very much a collaborative. And um, I, I think, you know, there needs to be a admission that, you know, the private sector does do a very good job and do very good work. Mm-hmm. And so does the, you know, so does the, so, so does the NHS, of course, and so do many charities. So uh, my view is just measure on the results. Mm-hmm. Let's just measure on the results and decide what is the best format Best value for money hmm. for the taxpayers, if we're talking about hmm. the NHS. We know that many, many people are choosing to take private insurance or pay directly for uh, private um, consultation or, 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 or operations because of the current environment. So even at the moment, there is a type of, although... Uh, you know, I think there's more people than ever before who are going private because they simply can't wait any longer. So I think, you know, the whole funding issue, and I'm frankly not qualified to, to go into the details of the funding. We just know 
that it needs to be a complete revision of how, how, how the NHS is funded. And, and I think we need, to, we need to, again, be very brave and recognise that we need to make uh, big changes. And I, I am quite heart, you know, uh, heartened by the fact that you know, two main political parties, both primarily Labour, are actually saying we need to change. We need to change. And, and, and there's nothing wrong in that. And it's, 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 it's required and necessary. So I, I'm quite heartened by the fact that it seems to be that um, there is a general political census that things can't stay as they are anymore. And it's just now a question of let's just start to map out what we need to do and, uh, and, and, and get, get on with it, really. And uh, let's melt away some of the boundaries that we have between private and uh, public and collaboration from industry and government. One of the other themes that came out uh, strongly from the podcast uh, uh, that we've shared, um, uh, people like uh, James Tugendhat, uh, the CEO of HC1, of course, yeah. as you know, uh, Raina Summerson at, at Agincare, was the importance, and you touched upon it earlier, of ensuring that we have proper well-being and wellness support for a workforce that has gone through tremendous challenges, still facing uh, uh, health challenges, whether it's physical or mental or or financial. Uh, And you've alluded to the economic value. Now, the Mental Health Foundation and the London School of Economics produced a study last year uh, showing that the economy, it costs the economy up to £118 billion in terms of mental health problems broadly. Again, it's another topic which I think you and New Cross have played a, a central to your vision for how you can support uh, the workforce and enable the workforce is through well-being. Yeah. I'll be honest, I didn't initially recognise how affected our workers' colleagues were by COVID, I knew they were affected, and we were all going. We knew we needed to do something, and and uh, of course, you know, we, we we you know within within Ucross, you know, we we have uh, you know support services. There's a confidential twenty four hour telephone line where they can get uh, where they can where they can provide uh, mental health support and and help them. Uh, we have uh, you could doctors. Uh, there was already uh, you can get uh, GP appointments online. It's free with our with our app. Uh, with all our stuff. So we had all of that. Um, uh, but we felt that we needed to take it one stage further instead of saying, well, you know, the door's always there, you, you can walk through it. Let's actually bring something to them. And that's obviously when we started working with you, where we where we held these um, po- podcasts or held these type of uh, video uh, casts. And um, the response was absolutely incredible. And we also surveyed to really understand the the, 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 the the type of mental well-being of everyone. And it was pretty frightening how affected everyone was. And uh, that's when we thought we were going to have to do something here. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and that's when we thought, well, actually, how can we help everyone? This is not something that we want to hoard to ourselves. Working with you uh, was is great, but actually we need to share that and actually really work to, for, for society as a, in general, uh, uh, sh- share us if we can support more people. And that's um, why we decided, and we you, obviously we, we got on very well, uh, how we could develop free training. I didn't want to put a barrier mm. based on price mm. uh, on, on health and well-being. And so 
it was a, it was a you know great uh, privilege that you joined us, and um, I mean I, I don't know how many thousands of people that we've already, you know, were already hopefully helped, but the feedback and response that we've had working uh, with you on our program has been absolutely phenomenal. And I know so many people have felt confident to come and say, I, you know, I can't, this has made such a difference to my life. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that we, we will continue and we want to make free. And of course, uh, we'll talk about future you in a moment, but mm. I mean, that's something that we want to make ubiquitous to, uh, to every healthcare worker throughout the whole of the UK. And it will be a privilege for me to be a part of that. And I think any organisation that can support the wellness and well-being of the healthcare workforce beyond its own boundaries, which yeah. is what you are uh, envisaging, uh, is, uh, I, I think, something that should be emulated and uh, thought about. Um, conscious that we're now going to look forward a little bit, um, the podcast series, um, we've got a, a number of uh, guests coming uh head which are spanning the entire landscape of health and social care um, one of the big themes that we will cover we've got the uh, ceo of the general medical council coming along we've already had sir julian hartley the nhs providers new chief executive and they emphasized the importance of retention and attraction through learning and development through allowing people to have career paths whether you're a carer whether you're a nurse a doctor in order to grow the workforce domestically that we need in this country. Now, one of the things, again, it'd be important for people to realise that your vision has also encompassed the idea of being a learning partner for life yeah. for all of the healthcare workforce. And that means providing free training for those that want to enter at whatever level in the uh, workforce. And they don't need necessarily, it's not conditional on them continuing to work for Newcross. Yeah. Can you explain the genesis of that? Because that's that's a bold vision, yeah. and it's been extraordinarily well received, as I understand. Yeah, I think I think it's just about a mindset change. So instead of uh, having a, a society that's based on rarity, hmm. you create society based on abundance, and hmm. that forms every part of your mindset. And one of those is education, and at the moment, generally. But specifically, you know, within healthcare for us, I felt it was totally unfair that if you wanted to be a nurse or a doctor, that you had to pay for it because you're absolutely in demand. We are desperate for them, but then we make them pay. It's like, um, I don't really understand it. If you wanted to do something that there wasn't a demand for, maybe, yeah, fine. You, you, you have to pay for that education. Uh, ultimately, I don't think you should, but maybe initially, but not with something as important as this. And I think, you know, this is not political because I think it, it goes over, you know, all parties. I just feel that we've lost the focus on what we need to do as a society in terms of education. And also the way that, the way that the world is moving is so fast that you cannot just, you ha your life has to be one of constant learning and innovation. And so it doesn't stop once you get your degree or once you get your qualification. It's just part of the journey. So your journey in life should be one of constant learning and innovation. And it's great. It's fun, you know. So how can we make that great and fun and, and accessible? So we had the idea 
uh, of providing free healthcare uh, training uh, and also an educational program, ultimately to take people to be uh, right the way up to be a doctor and a, and a nurse, completely free. And actually, I didn't want to create any binds or shackles to that. I didn't want to say we have to work a certain amount of time or you have to work for us. I'd rather us create something that is completely free, open to everyone, and you make a choice where you want to work. And hopefully you might want to come and work with us, but maybe you don't. Uh, And maybe you want to go and work somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. I think there is a need and requirement. So let's just deal with that. And we'll work out how in the future we can continue to fund that. We will. We're funding this all ourselves. So we've launched Future You, as you know. Uh, We've got a team's currently working on creating state-of-the-art um, uh, training uh, online. We're creating our, what we call a meta-university as well. That's going to be coming in the future. But actually, we're, we're, we, we are creating training uh, that's going to be completely free of charge and open to everyone. And, um, and, and I say, that's already started. It started off as a moonshot. It's now become a reality and we have teams now working and we're expecting by the end of the quarter to have 20,000 people a month going through different training programs. So we're really, really, really excited about that. And um, yeah, it's something that um, I'm really, 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 really passionate about. And I don't want to have any type of, you know, levels or blocks, you know, at the moment, you know, if you want to train to be a doctor in the UK, there's only seven and a half thousand people who, who places because after that there's a block we know i think there's just over twenty thousand doctors a year required so the rest of those doctors are coming from obviously outside the uk primarily pakistan india um uh, and uh two or three other key areas uh which is fine and we absolutely thank them for coming but reality is, is that really, just like oil or just like energy, not necessarily oil, but just like our energy, we should be reliant on developing our own nurses and carers, and etc., and hospital and, and doctors and consultants, etc. So, I just I don't think that's sustainable. And in those particular countries as well, it's you know there is a requirement in their own country. It's a growing country. So there's a lot of requirement there. So, I just think that um, you know this is the beginning, and um, uh, watch this space because um, we're really excited. I think without doubt we've got, as you say, 133,000 vacancies in the NHS, 165,000 vacancies in social care yeah. and international recruitment has played a brilliant part, yeah. continues to play a brilliant part but of course there's an ethical dimension that yeah. we have to respect those countries from which we are taking um, talent and and develop and grow our own talent the government has set limits, as you say, so the future you could be a very important pillar. One final question, if I may, um, we're looking ahead uh, at uh, the series to come. Um, we've also got the idea that the importance of innovation and new thinking. We had Sir Jim Mackey uh, uh, in the podcast series, as you know, who talked about the role of technology and how we need new thinking. Uh, Sir Julian Hartley at NHS Providers, whose brilliant work at Leeds Teaching has been award-winning. And there he drew on best practice at the Virginia Mason Institute in the US, how we can use industrial process of continual improvement. You um, have always thought, thought as a culture that we should seek the exceptional. So looking ahead at the series, innovation will be a big theme that we that you expect the uh, series to focus on. Absolutely. And, um, I, you know, we, you know, the term type of innovation, I think is changing because 
innovation is happening everywhere around everything because we are digitizing our economy and societies everything is becoming part of a digital experience everything is top of the you call it moore's law uh, so um, everything is exponentially growing faster and faster and faster and so you know we have opportunities and to, to see many changes so, you know you look five years in advance or six years in advance you know, you look at some type of surveys, you know about the UK, it looks terrible. You know, what's going to happen in the next five or six years? Others say it could be better. Frankly, the way the world is moving so quick, it's very, very difficult to actually pin exactly where we're going to be because the opportunities and threats are going to be varied, uh, but also uh, 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 different to what we probably expect to happen now and so you know we just need to be a very agile as an organization agile and create an agile workforce is very very important and that's really demanded i mean we've we we hear i hear a lot sometimes about especially you know our, our health force go we've got a our health force go now we've got twenty thousand staff uh registered health force go we're expecting over fifty thousand by the end of this year they join us because a lot of people want to work differently to how they worked before. They want to work more flexible. They want to work under their time and they want to develop their careers that best suits them and their family. And I think, uh, I think even, you know, all society and you know, all employers need to look at that. Look how we're working now in our organizations, uh, completely different. You know, a lot of people who have the opportunity of working this type of hybrid working from home or coming into the office, working differently. That, that needs to be type of considered across the whole of whole of healthcare people don't always want to work type of specific shifts so how do we as an organization provide that continuity of care mm. to our clients to patients whilst also meeting the demands and requirements of a workforce because if we do that you're going to have more engagement better retention better outcomes and a happier more content workforce it all sounds quite easy <laughs> saying it like that it's not but there are some simple dynamics that we need to look at. Another thing I think that we could look at, for me, is a big thing. You know, we pay same-day pay. The opportunity. So if you want, uh, you can actually get paid on the same day you work. So this is basically for our type of, uh, you know, for, for our temporary nursing and care staff we provide in the community on a temporary basis at the last minute when someone needs to work, uh, needs, needs a nurse or carer. The difference that we do at the where we are at the moment is that you actually only can pay 50 really 50 percent of whatever they earn and that's because the paye scheme is designed for a week mm. so you can only pay people a week so you have to save some because you don't know what type of tax and national insurance they're going to be paying at the end of the week imagine creating a, a workforce that is fully employed that has all the employment rights but still allows them a hybrid decision making they can decide when and where they work but the way the taxations primarily the PAY is worked out that it can be calculated on a daily basis you will create hybrid gig workers but with the benefit of full employment rights I think it would make a huge huge difference to society and this is not just within healthcare, but we've got a lot of people in healthcare who want to work in that flexible way. And I think there's a way that we can do that and create a much more. And of course, technology allows continuity as well. As there's so much, so much more. And if someone really doesn't want to work, trying to force them 
to work, you're not probably going to get the best out of them. So how can we create that continuity training, ensuring the training is correctly applied and they've got all the training, the outcomes are monitored and managed. We know the outcomes and create this type of flexible workforce, which is good for good for the good for our, 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 our workers, great for our clients, and most importantly, a great experience for patients. I think we'll have a lot of topics uh, to cover um, throughout the rest uh, uh, of the episodes that we've got. Uh, but on that uh, inspiring and engaging note, Stephen Patrick, thank you very much for your time and your passion. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please follow, like or subscribe wherever you receive your podcast from. And if you want to find out more about how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahail Mirza. Thank you and goodbye.